The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading comes from the prophet Amos chapter 7. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested. And just as the late crops were coming up, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of the king Jeroboam. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. Have you ever had one of those dreams at night in which you're falling? Where in the dream, there's nothing to hold you up or grab onto, and you're not even sure you're going to reach the bottom. And you wake up with like this sudden startle and you look around and you feel the bed under you or you move to stand on the floor beneath you and you just breathe the sigh of deep relief. It was just a dream. What if that dream never ended? Where the falling you were experiencing never relented, never stopped. Some have described hell as a forever falling with nowhere to stand, no one to grab onto, and no end to the torment. Like being trapped in an elevator car. If you're claustrophobic, dropping down story by story into an unbearable heat, like falling through a manhole cover opening into the putrid stench of human waste and you keep falling. Like being in a sauna or a steam room and the door has been sealed shut and you cannot get out. It sounds awful. 
ever been given a vision to this kind of forever falling or being trapped in something awful? Amos had. Where the Lord shared with this prophet, this shepherd, this farmer, a window into the descent into hell. And it terrified Amos. Because we're given access to the written word of God, the Lord shows us Amos's vision too. We can see it. And this vision of hell, this vision of God's holy judgment against our sin, friends, it needs to terrify us. It needs to terrify us into action. It needs to terrify us into repentance. It needs to terrify us into warning those whom we love the gravity of sin and the gravity of hell. Funny story is that this was my story of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I was given a vision as I went to a dramatic reenactment at a church called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Fire, I think is what it was called. And this dramatic reenactment, and I remember the scene that I remember so vividly was a scene of two men sitting in an airplane falling to their death on this crashing plane. And these two men, one of them was calling out to Christ, clinging to his words, saying, have mercy on me, O God. And the other one was trying to cling to whatever was in front of him. And I remember thinking as I was sitting witnessing this, I don't want to fall like that without somewhere to stand. And I called upon the mercy of God in that moment to have mercy on me, this self-centered soul. And he did. And in a moment, in a moment, I went from falling into the darkness of descent into hell to standing in the tangible light of God's love and mercy. I remember my eyes feeling as if I could see something so very bright and the darkness was lifted. Terrifying visions like the ones we see here in Amos 7 are warnings to us that no matter how much we think we can procrastinate or delay God's holy accountability for sin, a final day of judgment is coming. And Amos is shown five visions of warning in the next two chapters of this book. Visions of warning from God over what God's about to do to a rebellious nation of Israel. This rebellious nation whose leaders and whose people are standing at ease. Confident in their material stuff. Bathing in the baths of food and drink. Impressing themselves with their spiritual disciplines and their church attendance. All the while neglecting God's mercy to them. What was the signpost of that neglect? They were neglecting the poor and abusing the needy. And Amos stands witnessing these visions and responds as an interceding prophet. 
He's less angry, Amos is, over Israel's sin. That's been made obvious. Now he's more alarmed and he's more sad for his family's fate. This is his family. He's sad for their fate because of their sin. And today there's going to be questions these visions are going to ask of us. And these questions that we're going to ask are not only for us, they're also questions for the people around us. Because the fate of Anyone standing on anything but Christ? Say that again. The fate of anyone standing on anything but Christ leads us straight to the never-ending, never-cooling, never-relenting pit of hell. Last week's passage led us to ask God to treat the ingrown toenail of our pride. In today's passage, the Lord is warning us and saddening us to stand with Amos and look at what he sees. The ones that he loves receiving the penalty of their pride. His people falling forever into an awful reality that no human being could ever stand. A place of separation from God. And so we need to ask ourselves and begin to think, who do we need to ask this question of where we're standing? Lest we fall into the pit without rescue, without remedy. The questions that these warning visions from Amos are asking us today is this. What are you standing on this morning? Are you standing on the security of past accomplishments? Are you standing on the security of future reserves? Are you standing on the security of your present righteousness? Because any of these three floors will not hold you up. They will lead you straight into the pit of hell. Only Christ, the righteous standard, can be our standing. First question, are you standing on the security of your past accomplishments? Friends, I have to warn you that that floor will be eaten away by bugs. How do we see past accomplishments being eaten away in this first vision in verses 1 to 3? Well, look at this first image. The creator God is forming an army of locusts. Amos knew all about locusts being a farmer. Locusts were one of the plagues which Israel's godless enemy, Pharaoh, experienced when he refused to let God's people go. Locusts eat everything in sight. A desert locust swarm... Get this, can be measured at about 460 square miles. That's about the size of greater Milwaukee can be a swarm of locusts. And they can consist of about 40 to 80 million locusts per kilometer. 40 to 80 million locusts per kilometer. So large that that swarm could consume over 423 million pounds of plants a day. That's over 500,000 acres of fields consumed by locusts per day. If Israel, the nation Israel, were all field, 
it would be consumed in no more than about two days. So, Chad, you said, what does this have to do with past accomplishments? How does this picture of this field being eaten up by locusts have to do with past accomplishments? Well, look when this is happening. The locusts are consuming this during the beginning of the sprouting of the latter growth or the second planting. Israel basically had two times to plant. And this was right in between when the second crop was just starting to come up. And the reason why this is important, that the second crop is just starting to come up, is because the first crop is ready to be harvested. It's full of fruit. And what Amos sees in this vision is that this past accomplishment of fruit is going to be consumed And Israel is no doubt going to starve. There's going to be nothing to eat. Nothing to eat. And he cries out, Oh, Lord God, please forgive my people. And he, the prophet, intercedes for the people by asking that God would spare them from complete devastation and starvation. And notice how the Lord responds to the prayer of his faithful Amos. He relents. What does that mean? Let's be clear about relenting. Friends, God is not changing his mind like, oh, Amos, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. What a bad idea I had. That's not what's going on with relenting. No, God's judgment over sin is inevitable. It's coming. It will happen. In fact, the prophet Joel later describes a locust plague that's going to take over and devastate Israel like is envisioned here. It does happen. But the Lord is responding to Amos' plea for time, for mercy, time for any remnant of his people to turn back to the Lord. They don't. Israel will continue to believe that the crops that are in the ground and growing will mean they're safe, they're good, their past accomplishments are enough. What they've plowed, what they've planted, what they've produced, we're good. Is this you? Do you have an inventory of people who you've led to the Lord or you've discipled? Do you keep track of the things you've done for God? Do you mark how much you've given out of pocket or how much sin you haven't given into as your measure of righteousness? Does this give you a sense of security where surely you won't fall because you've been a pretty good guy or girl? Friends, all of this inventory will be eaten up and consumed by bugs before it can even be harvested. Do you have friends or family you see living in the security of their past accomplishments? I sat with a former professional football player yesterday and heard him live the life of past accomplishments. And it made me so sad. Do you see people living in that? Their degrees, their careers, their children's successes, the fullness of their 17 stall garage or their pantry being full. The security of past accomplishments. In the United States, friends, 80 billion pounds of food is thrown away each year. 80 billion pounds of food. Is that a sign of false security? (laughs) For a farmer like Amos, to lose every crop is to lose livestock, 
is to lose life, is to lose livelihood. It is horrifying for him to witness. And he asks for more time. Please, more time, Lord. And the Lord grants it. Friends, look at this vision and respond by being an Amos, maybe to your friends and family. To say to them this Thanksgiving, as you sit among the bounty of harvested corn and potatoes and turkey, what if it all were taken away? Imagine your relatives, your lost relatives, living in the security of this Thanksgiving meal or past accomplishment. Imagine their chairs hovering over hell. Would you smile and say, pass the potatoes, please? Or would you say to the Lord, wait, God, wait, please forgive them. Show mercy to them. And would you say to them, your good life can't save you. Plead for God's mercy. I'm praying for each one of you to have an opportunity at the Thanksgiving table to be Amos. Maybe your family, your friends, your neighbors will answer, we're fine. We got plenty of food for next year. We got plenty of funds in the savings account. We got plenty of funds in my 401k to keep me alive. Which leads to the second vision, the second question. Are you standing on the security of your future reserves? Because that floor will be burned up by fire. In the second vision, verses 4 to 6, Amos sees God as a prosecuting attorney in the case of the Lord versus every living, breathing human being. And he's calling for a sentencing, a consuming fire of judgment. And look in those verses 4 to 6. What do you see that fire burning up? Look there. What does it say? It's kind of strange. It's burning up the great deep. Well, what the original hearer would understand that to mean is that's all of the water underneath the surface of the land. Every well. Every well will be dried up by that intense heat. And then the rest of the land is getting burned to a crisp as well. The reason this is so terrifying to Amos is not only because the crop is being destroyed, there's not going to be any water to drink or any water to put out this fire. Even survivors of that plague of locusts could not survive this intense of a fire. I don't know if any of you have been up there, but I remember as a kid going to the Peshtigo Fire Museum. It's terrifying as an eight-year-old because there's these paintings, these awful paintings of this fire. I was mortified by these paintings because what you'd see would be people fleeing for their lives from the flames and trying to make their way into the Peshtigo River to survive. But what happened when they went into the river is they died of hypothermia because it was so cold in the river. 1.2 million acres were burned to the ground. One account had a father killing his daughters so that they didn't have to suffer the agonizing death of being burned alive. The Peshtigo Fire Museum is such a tiny window into God's judgment that is all-consuming. There is no future beyond the final judgment. 
there's no final judgment season two or final judgment part two, episode two. No, Amos sees with merciful and compassionate eyes the people of Israel who are ignoring God's plea to turn back and live. And Amos says, stop, Lord, stop more time, please, more time. And the Lord relents to Amos's buying of time. But the fire does come. It will come. Friends, I want to ask, how secure is your future? I, I look, I do, I look at my retirement account and investments and I think, huh, Bliss and I are going to be okay. It's a great deep that affirms my survival if I get hit with Alzheimer's or something and I can't be a pastor anymore. I, I, think, we'll, I think we'll be okay. Maybe for you it's a financial goal or a next stage of life or a grass is greener image when things will finally settle down or I'll turn things around when I get a little older or a little wiser and maybe I'll just start settling down on my sin. Friends, these great deeps of future promise are so shallow, they're going to burn. Apart from Christ, our future is fire. The future for every human being is the final courtroom of God's fiery judgment, whether we're six or we're 16 or we're 60. The fire is burning against our sinful flipping of the bird to God. And God says, if you don't want me in this life, I'm going to be just to give you what you wanted in hell, which is not me, which is the absence of my presence. God's judgment against sin will not be cooled by Amos's buying of time. It is determined. And it is deserved. Richard Baxter, he was a Puritan preacher. He writes about this reality of fire. He says, fire is evidently the only word in human language which can suggest the anguish of hell. It is the only word in the parable of the wheat and the tares where our Lord didn't interpret what it meant. The only reasonable explanation is that fire is not a symbol. It perfectly describes the reality of the eternal burnings. He says, as we paid nothing for God's eternal love, as we paid nothing for the son of his love, as we paid nothing for his spirit and our grace and our faith, and we paid nothing for our eternal rest, what an astonishing thought it will be to think of the unmeasurable difference between our deservings and our receivings. Oh, how free was all this love, and oh, how free is this enjoyed glory. So then... Let deserved be written on the floor of hell and on the door of heaven, the free gift. There's a temptation here. You may hear these strong words of judgment and hell and think to yourself, I'd better get my life together. I better straighten up, fly right. That leads us to the final question in this last vision. As Amos sees something. The question is this. Are you standing on the security of your righteousness? 
because that floor is a trap door straight into hell as well. Look at the image in verses 7 to 9. The Lord, seen as a person, interesting, maybe a picture of Christ, standing next to a wall or on the wall with the ancient Near East version of a level. You saw that on the front of your worship guide. A level in his hand, a plumb line, falls down straight. Amos, what do you see? God asks. A plumb line. A tool used to measure the straightness of a wall. After Amos sees the plumb line and hears the judgment that's coming from God, what does he say? How does he respond? What do you see Amos saying? Nothing. He's speechless. Why? Because he sees the standard that God has measured is not ever going to be met. The time that Amos asks for won't fix the matter. Amos knows that wall needs to come down. The Lord says it will. He says in verse 8, I've had enough. I will not spare them again. No more forgiving. No more waiting. The high places of their religion emptied the sanctuaries of their feasts and their godless worship, hit with a wrecking ball, their military leader, their king, taken down with a sword. It's over, God says. It's over. Judgment has come. Friends, the stats are set. None of us here are getting out of this world alive. No one gets out of here alive. And there's a finality to the end of our lives. We will stand before the towering heights of God's perfection. And every crooked, prideful, self-centered brick by brick moment of our lives will be laid bare before him. The plumb line will drop from his hands. And like Amos, we will have no words to account for the crookedness of our lives. It will be clear our try harder, do better, get your act together attempts at rebuilding what has been botched will look not like a leaning tower of Pisa. It will look like a collapsed heap of rubble on the ground. Even the good things we've done, Paul says, are like filthy rags. Where will you stand? What words are you left to say in that moment but words of faith? Where can I go and find safety from my destruction, from my deserved hell? Who could possibly meet that kind of standard of perfection and rightness? And we will say, hide me in the house of Jesus. Measure me by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. The one on the cross whose body was consumed by locusts of sin. The one on the cross who experienced the parch of fiery, waterless places as he shouted, I thirst. The plumb line who hung twisted, twisted body between heaven and earth on the cross as the world declared his perfection. He has done nothing wrong. 
on Christ, the solid rock, the straightest wall, the endless ceiling, I stand. All past ground of who I have become will be consumed by locusts. All future reserves of what might keep me safe will be burned by holy fire. And all present attempts at perfect righteousness will be demolished, never to be built again. God's judgment against sin will be final. Will he judge all of us sinners? Yes, And he will judge us against the plumb line of Jesus. If you are hiding in any other place but the plumb line of Jesus, the judgment is the fiery, consuming place called hell. But for the believer, judgment can be found through the cross. Is God's warning vision this morning meant to terrify us? but terrify us straight into his soothing, loving, gracious, merciful arms of forgiveness. God will relent. He can relent by hiding you in the house of his son. Perfect justice given to the sinner who hides himself in Jesus. Perfect love given to the saints who are made right through his perfect blood. I witnessed this week, just to close, my son being given an opportunity to see his sin pretty clearly. And as we talked about what he had done, I watched as he recognized the crookedness of himself compared to Christ. And I watched as his head just was dropping and just kind of weighing down under the weight of his sin. It was really hard to watch as a father. I wanted to rescue him from what I've experienced many times in my life before. I wanted to just say, it's okay. It's okay. You're fine. No, but I waited in quiet. As the weight of his crookedness weighed on him. Until the point when I saw a little bit of despair. An expression that looked like all hope might have been lost. Under the weight of judgment. And I quickly spoke up. Son, son, you are forgiven. Ask the question this week of yourself and our others, of others. What are you standing upon for security today? Let it not be your past accomplishments. Let it not be your future reserves. Let it not be your present righteousness. Saints, boldly proclaim to yourself and to anyone who will listen. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is hell-bound sand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for it meeting us here. And thank you for the opportunity to remember our standing. Would you continue to purge out of us any standing that has to do with what we've done 
Would you purge out of us any standing that has to do with the security we see in our future? And would you also help us to repent and run away from any attempts at being righteous ourselves? So that we are left standing behind the plumb line of Jesus. Our perfection. It's in his name we pray. Amen.